This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. So people are often known for something, aren't they? So Michael Jordan, for example, he's known for being the GOAT, right? The greatest basketball player of all time. I don't care what you LeBron James fans say. Jordan is and will always be the GOAT. Amen. Uh, Harry Carey, he's known for the seventh inning stretch, right, and singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, but it's, it's not just famous people. Like us normies are known for things too, right? So my, my neighbor Mike, uh, my neighbor Mike is known for smoking meat, and it's really, really good, and also finding those really hard to find and really great craft beers. My, uh, my friend Lisa, the boys' uh, volleyball coach, she is known for being uh, incredible incredibly excited on the sidelines to the point that like it's as much fun watching her coach the game as it is watching the boys and their classmates play in the game and uh but what about us what do you think we're known for as followers of jesus how how do you think the world views us as the church What is that defining trait that the world sees when they look at us and when they think about us and mind you not Not what you hope they see, not what they should see, but what they actually see. So say say I were to be the host of Family Feud, and I were to say that we surveyed 100 people who do not claim to be Christians, agnostics, atheists, people of other faith, and we asked them that same question. What do you think of when you think of the church? And I said, the top five answers are on the board. What do you think those answers might be? For real, this is one of those where I actually want you to answer. Fire out an answer. What do you think the world sees when they look at us? Hypocritical. There's one. Bing! How about another one? What's that? Judgmental. Bing! How about another one? What was that? Unkind. Bing! Another one over here? Political. Bing! Intolerant. Here's the five I wrote down. Hypocritical, judgmental, Republican, intolerant, and last but certainly not least, boring. You know what should You know what's not on the board? You know what you guys didn't say? Love. You know what should be the singular answer on the board? Love. And that's what we're going to see this morning in John 13 as we continue our series, Following Jesus, inspired by Henry Nouwen's book, uh, Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. As Jesus, he follow-ups his invitation to come and see and his call to follow me with a command, a command that he has given to all who accept the invitation and answer the call, that command to love one another. But if we go back to the board, why is it, do you think, that this singular thing that Jesus says we are to be known for is the thing we're least known for? Why is that? I don't think it's because we've never heard the command to love. No, I think it's because we misunderstand. I think we misunderstand three things. I think we misunderstand who it is we're commanded to love. I think we misunderstand how we're commanded to love, what this love looks like, and I think we misunderstand why we're commanded to love, what it is that enables us to love. 
And it's this misunderstanding of the who, the how, and the why that results in our not being known by our love. And so this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see what it looks like for us to love like Jesus. Before we begin, I want to invite you to join me in praying a prayer as we have done each week of this series, a prayer adapted from chapter 5 in Henry's book, Following Jesus. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, in the middle of busy work and many concerns, we want to fix our eyes on you. You are the Lord, the Lord who calls us to your kingdom, the Lord who calls us to find rest with you, the Lord who calls us to conversion, to new life, to new love, to new hope. We are grateful, Father, that you have called us here. Help us to be shaped by your love in order to share your love to a hurting world. Amen. We'll set the stage here a little bit. Chapter 13 in, in John's gospel, it begins uh, what we commonly refer to as the, the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse, the, the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he was crucified that we now refer to as his last supper. And, and while they were reclining around this table, Jesus, he, he says to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And you might be thinking, like, what's so new about this? I mean, Jesus, he said nearly the very same thing just earlier that same week, right? Distilling the entire Mosaic law down to a single word, love. And he conveyed by a single command what we now refer to the great commandment that we see in Matthew 22 to, that begins, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And Jesus here, he's referring to a passage in, in Deuteronomy 6. And then he continues saying, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here he has added uh, a passage from Leviticus 19, where God, he not only gave his people uh, a command to love, but also very specific ways in which to love, ways to live out this love. In that same passage, God says to love your neighbor as yourself by leaving a portion of your crop in the field for the poor so that they can come along and eat as well. Love your neighbor as yourself by not oppressing them, not, not taking from your neighbor. No injustice of any kind was allowed. Love your neighbor simply by paying them a fair wage and paying them on time. And to love your neighbor by not slandering your neighbor, not hating your neighbor, not lying to your neighbor, and not lying about your neighbor. And Jesus says on these two commandments, loving God and loving others, depend all the law and all the prophets. But notice, love wasn't something Jesus suggested is a good idea. It wasn't something he recommended when it was convenient. No, he commanded love. He commanded it of his followers. He commanded it of us. Love has always been something God has commanded of his people, which is kind of Jesus' point here. Right? The command to love, it, it's new in that it's not worn out. Right? It's not like an old pair of running shoes. Instead, it remains new, as though you just took them out of the box, even though you've run miles in them. But at the same time, this command to love one another, 
is given out of a new covenant, given to a new community, to a, a family, to brothers and sisters united together in Christ. That is who we are commanded to love. But what do we try and do when we're told what to do? We will work as hard as we can to find a way out of it, won't we? Sort of like when you get an assignment at school, you will spend more time trying to get out of the assignment than if you actually just did the assignment. And that's exactly what we see in Luke 10 when a, a lawyer, he's trying to, to justify himself, to, to trick Jesus, and, and knowing that he couldn't restrict how he was commanded to love, because God was pretty specific there, he attempted, and mind you, failed miserably at restricting his definition of neighbor, limiting who he was commanded to love. Don't we do the very same thing? Don't we play the same game, restricting who we're commanded to love in this never-ending search uh, for a legal loophole to limit who this one another is that we're supposed to love? We have, as N.T. Wright says, defined the one another so tightly that it means only love for the people who reinforce your own sense of who you are. Rather than loving others for who they are, loving them as they are, loving them where they are, we withhold our love. We withhold our love from anyone that we deem unlovely. We withhold our love from anyone we deem unworthy. We only seek to love some future fixed version of that person, not who they currently are. And then we only love them when it's not inconvenient for us when it won't disrupt the course of our lives. But notice Jesus, Jesus commands us to love one another, no asterisks attached, to love fellow followers of Jesus. But what we see when we look at the entirety of Scripture is that he's also called us to love our neighbor, to love anyone that God has put in our path, in our life, and to love them as ourselves, to love them the way in which we would hope to be loved if we were in their situation, if we were in their story. We see that in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We see that in Matthew 22 with the great commandment. But he didn't stop there. He, Jesus also challenges us to love our enemy. We see that in Luke 6. We see that in Matthew 5. And that's what we're going to see next week. Next week, we're going to see the challenge to love our enemy. And so love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemy. He's saying love the world. It covers the entirety of of humanity. It covers the entire spectrum of humanity. And that means that nobody should be excluded from our love because no one is excluded from God's love. Amen? Nobody should be excluded from our love because nobody is excluded from God's love. Put simply, we're to love those who God loves. And Jesus says God so loved the world, so there you go. Do with that what you will. And the reason we're starting with this command to love one another on this journey of following Jesus in this series is because if we can't love those that we share the most in common with, our brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow followers of Jesus, how are we ever going to hope to love our neighbor who we have much less in common with, yet alone love our enemy? But not only do we misunderstand and thereby restrict who we're commanded to love, we also misunderstand 
how we're commanded to love. And I think in part because we misunderstand what this love we are called to share and to show looks like. And so thankfully, Jesus, he goes on to tell us, doesn't he, in verse 34. He tells us how to love. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just just do what I did for you. It's that easy. He's saying that our love for one another, it should look like Christ's love for us. Reflecting his love, a mere image of his love. But what I love is that Jesus didn't just tell us how to love, did he? No, he showed us how to love. And we see this in the other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. Also, side note, you're going to start to notice like all the 3.16s are really kind of awesome. The whole book's really good. I'd I'd recommend you read it. It's a page turner. Um, But really, hit those 3.16s. 1 John 3.16, he says, by this we know love. Here's how we know. You ready for this? That he, that Jesus laid down his life for us, that he died for us. That's how we know love when we come to the cross. And isn't that exactly what we declare when we recite the Apostles' Creed together? When we hear each other say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, didn't he? He suffered emotionally. He was was betrayed by his friends. He was mocked by the crowd. He suffered emotionally. He suffered physically. He was bitten. He was whipped. He had a crown of thorns thrust into the king, into the head of our king. He suffered. He was crucified, nailed to the cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And he, in the fullness of humanity, died and descended to the place of the dead before his resurrection. That is the extent of Christ's love for us. That's the extent of his love for you. That is the extent of his love for me. That is the extent of his love for the world. Taking on our sin, bearing our guilt, and then paying our debt and dying our death, thereby reuniting us to God. Not because he had to, not because he was commanded to, but because he chose to, because he loves you. And as a result, John 3, 16, 1 John 3.16 goes on to say that we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Laying down everything within our lives, laying down our actual lives if need be. Holding everything God has blessed you with, with open hands. Laying it all down for the good of others. Be it your time, your finances, your your possessions, be it your talents or gifting, be it your voice, your influence, your status, all of it, loving others the way Jesus loved us. And what we start to notice is that loving one another comes at a cost, doesn't it? It comes at a significant cost sometimes. It's messy. It's inconvenient, it disrupts your life, and yet this is the command given to those who accept the invitation. This is the command given to those who answer the call to follow Jesus. This is what faithfully following the way of Jesus looks like. It looks like loving like Jesus. And so real practically for us what that means is that when there is a need within the church, it should be met by the church, shouldn't it? 
When there is a need within the church, it should be met by us. It should be met by the church. Not viewing the needs of others as an inconvenience or a disruption or a distraction, but as an opportunity to reflect Christ's love as we go in love. That was true of the early church in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 2 and Acts 4. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to anyone who had need. And as a result, there wasn't a need among them because they met the need. And I pray that that would be true of us as a church as well. Holding our lives with open hands and allowing ourselves to be inconvenienced, allowing our lives to be disrupted, and laying it all down in order to meet the needs of others here. Reflecting Christ's love as we love one another. That's what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus, isn't it? That's what it looks like. And that's what led to us opening the pantry earlier this year, taking that step in meeting needs within our community. And that's what's leading us to take another step today in meeting needs here within the church that I want to share with you. And we already uh, meet needs financially through things like benevolence, through mission scholarships, through seminary scholarships. But this new step, I think it costs us something far more valuable than money. It's easy to write a check. What costs us more than money is ourselves, our time, our presence, our attention, our hands and our feet, actively loving. And so as pastors, as we're made aware of needs within the church, through, be it through prayer requests, be it through meeting with you guys one-on-one for coffee, we're going to share those needs with you. Mind you, if given permission. Asterisk there. And we're going to share those needs with you so that we can meet those needs together. And here's how this is going to work. Uh, we've been thinking on this for months, and then finally something clicked this week, just in time for a sermon where it actually fits. That's how the Holy Spirit works in sermon prep. When you fill out the info card at the end of service today, when Rob comes up and he tells you three jokes and he's got you all loosened up because he's really funny... Don't be too distracted by the humor because there's something I need you to do today. In that info card, there's going to be a new field, and that field's going to be called Loving One Another. In all caps, you can't miss it. I'd put it in red font if I could, but you can't. And underneath there, it's going to say, I would like to be notified via text message of ways I can be the hands and feet of Jesus in loving one another within my church family. Now, we are not automatically adding anyone to the list. Um... We're only going to send these text messages. We send out the regular text messages to everybody, but these are only going to go to those of you who answer yes on that field in the info card. You're going to be added to a list, and then when a need arises, we're going to send a text, and guess how this works? First to raise their hand and respond wins. You get to meet the need. Unless we need five of you, then the first five to respond win and get to meet the need. Because this love that we're called to reflect, it is not simply an emotion that we feel for one another. No, it is a decision that we make and an action that we take, taken for the good of another, loving one another, not simply in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And my prayer for us as a church is that if Jesus were to walk in these doors right now, is that he would come up, and I'm probably going to be fumbling all over my words, mind you, 
and I'm going to get out of the way. And he's going to stand there, and he's going to talk. And what I hope he says is that I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And he ain't just talking about the welcome team there. And then we're going to be like, whispering to the neighbor, person sitting next to you, like, when did we do that? I didn't, I didn't see this guy here. I didn't say hi to him. I didn't meet someone new to me today. And then what he's going to say is, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. When we love one another, we are loving God, aren't we? We are loving Christ. Our love for one another is a reflection of God's love. Because that's how we're called to love, to love like Jesus. Our love for one another should look like Christ's love for us, a reflection of his love, a mere images of his love. That kind of seems impossible, doesn't it? Like to like willingly get up on a cross, to lay down your life. I don't know if we got that in us on our own. And uh, that's because you don't. On your own, you're incapable of loving like Jesus. I'm incapable of loving like Jesus, but we're not left on our own, are we? We're not left on our own because when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That Greek word there, just as, kathos, it has a, it has a bit of a double meaning. It's not just comparative, right, showing us how. It's also causative, showing us the why, revealing the source of that love, what enables us to love like Jesus. See, Jesus is saying here, he's saying that, that his love for us, it is both the example and the source of love. It is both the how and the why, because our love for one another, it should come from Christ's love for us. Not just look like his love, but it should come from his love in response to his love, loving out of his love, from his love. First John 3.16 goes into 1 John 3.17 where he says, but if anyone has the world's goods, if you're able to meet a need and you see a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, refuses to meet the need, he says, how does God's love abide in him? How is it that we can claim to love God if we do not love one another, if we do not love our neighbor, if we do not even love our enemy? What he's saying is that you cannot reflect a love you have not first received. If you don't know Christ's love, if you have not been transformed by Christ's love, how could you ever hope to share it? How could you ever hope to reflect it? And that means that our inability to reflect Christ's love, it reflects we've not fully received Christ's love. It means that we may have forgotten Christ's love it means we may have outright rejected Christ's love. But like, why would we ever do that? If I came up and handed you a bag of a, with a million dollars worth of cash in it, are you going to reject that? No. You're going to find somebody else to help you carry it to the car because I'm pretty sure that's heavy the way it looks like in movies. I've never actually carried a bag of a million dollars. If you want to hand it to me, I'll give it a try, though. Then we can do the whole parking lot then. Why would you ever reject Christ's love? How is it that we're able to forget his love? 
this thing that we all desire? I think there's a few reasons. I'm going to share four. There's more. One is maybe you're unable to accept Christ's love because no one ever told you about it. Maybe you just didn't even know it was a thing. You never knew it existed. Well, praise God because you're going to leave here having known Jesus loves you, this you know. The Bible tells you so, and Pastor Ash just did too. Sometimes we think we're unable. Other times we feel unworthy of Christ's love. We feel unworthy because of, of all we've done or what may have been done to you. You're like, ah, there's a line, there's a bar at which Christ loves people, and I, I'm too far down. That's not true. Third is you might think you're undeserving of, of his love. You may have been taught, whether directly or indirectly, that love is something you need to earn, that it is based on what you do. And if you had to earn your parents' love, if you had to earn the love of others, it's easy to reflect that on God and think, well, we must therefore earn his love by what we do, doing, 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 serving, 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 giving, 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 not out of his love, but for his love. And sometimes, you know, we're just outright unwilling to receive his love. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's like, nah, God, I got this. I'm good. Thank you. And sometimes we're skeptical. We're skeptical of free things, aren't we? Because we just assume there's strings attached. Man, didn't we talk about this already? Jesus ain't a timeshare salesman. He's not locking us in a room until we sign a lifetime contract. It is simply a free gift given to us that all we need to do is receive. And so whether you have rejected, whether you have not received, whether you have simply forgotten Christ's love for you, I pray that whatever, whatever it is that may be driving you to hold Jesus at arm's length, that you would accept his invitation for the first time, for the hundredth time, to come and see, to answer his call to follow him, no matter how far you may have wandered off path, and to once again receive his love, to know his love, to abide in his love. Because by this, Jesus says in verse 35, by receiving his love, responding to that love, by reflecting that love, reflecting it to one another, reflecting it to our neighbor, reflecting it to our enemy, reflecting it to the world, all people, the people out there will know, the world will know that we are his disciples, that we are his followers, if you what? Say it with me. Love one another. Love is how we should be known by the world. It is the singular answer on the board. We're, we're not called to be known by the size or the aesthetic of our church or the influence in our community and definitely not our political affiliation. That is not how we are to be known by the world. We're not to be known by the translation of the Bible we use, the number of verses we've memorized, the degrees we've earned, or even the nomination we're a part of. Do you notice here, too, Jesus didn't even say that we would be known by the way we worship God, our theological knowledge of God, not even our love of God. No, he says we will be known by our love for one another, which can only come from our love of God. That's why it is one command, not two. It's not even one A, one B. It's just one. Because our love for God is made manifest. It is made known. It is made visible and reflected in our love for his people for one another. 
And so when we do this, when we love like Jesus, you know what we do? People see. And they're, they're curious. And they're drawn in. And our love for one another points people to Jesus. But man, when we fail to love like Jesus, we sure push people away, don't we? And we push them away fast, and we push them away far. The early first century church father, John Chrysostom, wrote, when the unbelieving world observes us, the church, attacking each other and our neighbors more savagely than any wild beasts, they call us, they call Christians, they call followers of Jesus the plague of the world. I think it's as true some 1,600 years after he wrote that as it was the day he wrote it. And so I want you to ask yourself now, I want you to think about this. What does your treatment of others in the church, the way you speak to them, the way you speak about them, whether it is in person, whether it is with others behind their back, whether it is on social media, what about your, your, your treatment of other followers of Jesus, be it in other denominations, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Anglican, or other uh, traditions of the church, be it uh, Catholicism or Orthodoxy? People who worship differently than us, people who hold other doctrinal beliefs based on Scripture, be it baptism or communion, be it... Uh, spiritual gifts or church leadership, be it days of creation or eschatology and end time, what does that, your treatment of other Christians, what does it say to the world about who you are? What does it say to the world about who we are? What does it say to the world about who God is? Because it says something. The world is watching. The world is listening. But our, our mission, our mission comes from Jesus. Real easy. Go, therefore, and make disciples, right? To help more people know Jesus and grow to be like Jesus. But does, not only does our mission come from Jesus, our method comes from Jesus. Loving God and loving others and loving them as ourselves pointing people to Jesus by loving like Jesus, making this love that we have received, this gift, this fruit of the Spirit that we saw earlier this year, this incarnational kind of love, making it visible, making it seen, making it known, not in order to be seen, not in order to draw people to ourselves, but so that his love will be seen, his love will be felt, and to draw people to Jesus. Amen? Henry Nouwen writes in the chapter, he says, the Christian life following Jesus in a life of discipleship it is about discovering how God's presence can be made visible here and now by our love for each other. That is the command. That is how we are to be known by the world, by our love for one another. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.